true crime or tall tale, the true crime podcast, or I, Kat, or my co-host, Jack, will tell you two stories about heinous crimes. One is true, the other, not so much. How are we doing today? I'm, I'm alright. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I should sound better. I just got back from another vacation. Damn, girls. Always going on vacation. I know. I sound fucking jet-setting. I'm like, I drove to Mystic, Connecticut. <laughs> Mystic. Mystic, Connecticut. Where you can enjoy such luxuries as pizza, an aquarium, ghosts, and ghosts. Honestly, it sounds like a good time. Honestly, it was. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's no, a good I am doing well. I went on my... Second ghost tour of the year in Mystic. It torrential downpoured the entire time, and I was a dumbass who was wearing boots earlier and switched into sneakers for the oh, ghost tour. No, I want to do a little a little shout out because I have some some follow up things for you with wait, one wait. of my cases. Wait, wait, let me ask how you are. Oh, well, this is kind of how I am. You just came back from a vacation. I, not too long ago, as well, just came back from a wedding. Oh! I know. I want to shout out to my friends Sam and Patrick, who just got married at the end of last month. Sam and Patrick! I know. I love you guys so much, to a point where I'm going to do a little bit of a follow-up to, like, as, as just a short and sweet little beginning to one of my previous episodes this uh, season. You remember cruise ships? Ah! <laughs> your worst. Uh, your worst. Are they going on a cruise? Oh no, Sam gets seasick. Oh, but I want to call back to my case about cruise ship murders because Sam gave me a follow up about oh. a certain factoid wherein they one hundred percent do hand out the ice cream to make room for bodies. Why can she corroborate that fact? Well, it's because. Pat provided the accurate boat facts, but she did also say that for my dream of going on a cruise, Pat will 100% go with me and you and her will meet us in a port. Oh, amazing. We'll fly. We'll fly to a port. Exactly. We'll chill out there. Then say I will go back and just have a spa day. Exactly. Exactly. So just wanted to give a shout out. And, and then they won't have to give out ice cream make room for my body. <laughs> Your body. Specifically. Specifically, because you'd die if I ever made you on a cruise. I'm quite convinced I would be murdered. Maybe just because I'd be so annoying, but I'm quite convinced I would be <laughs> murdered on a cruise. <laughs> anyway, uh, shout out to Sam and Pat, who just got married, and I love you guys so much, and thank you for the accurate facts. You guys are my big are like our biggest fans, and we love you. Shout out, shout out. Shout out, shout out. But also, like, we love, like, audience interaction, and, like, if y'all know shit, tell us. Talk to us like, more. We love it. We comment on the Instagram. Stuff. Like, the highlight of my fucking month was when my sister said, hey, I need don't do crimes dot 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 for men on a t-shirt. <laughs> if you guys, like, want <laughs> shit, tell us. If you know shit, like, if you for a reason have an insane knowledge of arson or dog nappings, tell us. DM us. Write us a strongly worded email. <laughs> Please. I, I love it all. Tell us everything. <laughs> Yeah, cor help, correct me. Please correct us, Jesus. <laughs> anyway, with, with that, I want you guys to get comfy. To get cozy? And even, I dare say, to get cozy. <laughs> <laughs> because we're about to get uncomfortable in here. Just Beautiful, just, beautiful. Just this is why bit. I show up. This is why I get paid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get comfy cozy, you guys. Because... This one's gonna be a long one. Alright, so what we're really saying is go to the bathroom, get a snack. Unless you're doing something. I hope you're listening to this on a longer road trip, because this one is going to be a long one. In that case, pull over, go to the bathroom, buy a snack. <laughs> you really care about everyone's bladders, I love it. You want to get into this episode? I want to get into this episode. I cannot wait to get into this episode. <laughs> I have a shit-eating grin right now, guys. <laughs> I am... So excited about this episode. You guys know what it is. You clicked on it. We're talking about pirates today. In other words, this is Catherine's dissertation she's been preparing since she was approximately this, five and a half. For those of you who know me, and for those who don't, I'm a big fan of pirates. It has been my special interest since I was like five and a half, six, seven. My notes are, in fact, 20 pages long. I love pirates. I went to elementary school with blonde hair, all pink. Think legally blonde levels of all pink. 
but with a skull and crossbones lunchbox and the ability to school anyone with Golden Age piracy history. I even thought that knowing a gross amount of pirate facts was a prerequisite to work at this mini golf course where I grew up. Right. That's a little sad, but that's a fact for me. Listen, you learn for the job you want, not for the job you have. Exactly. Who knew that I would be preparing for this day where I would be (laughs) able to talk on a podcast for X amount of time about my favorite topic, pirates. So now for a general history of pirates. Amazing. Which happens to be the exact name of a book written by a contemporary scholar of the time, Captain Charles Johnson. I am that much of a nerd. Do you have I, a little literary crush on him? No. He just he just wrote like an anthology at the time that all of these pirates were doing their thing. So instead of like, you know, learning from like a newspaper, like, oh, that Captain Jones struck again. It's like, so this guy wrote a book about all of these dastardly villains. And much like how we like to consume true crime media, the people went nuts. Anyway, would you care for a vocab lesson? I would love one. Amazing. So we're going to be defining a pirate today. So pirate is the overarching term for seafaring marauders. Corsair is the term for those operating in the Mediterranean Sea around, like, Greece and, like, the Barbary Coast and everything, operating in the same amount of time, really, 15th through 18th century. We're not talking about them today. (laughs) You guys do not get to sit at the table. We're throwing one out to the Corsairs, though, today. Privateers refer to licensed piracy. Yes. So they were like the independent contractors of the pirating world, having permission granted by letters of mark, which is referenced in the second Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Yes. They quite literally say it. These letters of mark gave permission to the bearer to attack vessels of opposing nations. Privateers were often utilized and commissioned during times where navies were just not as strong as they they were, and they didn't want to like engage in a full-on war. They were like, that guy's not associated with us. Like, uh, Sir, Fan- Sir Francis Drake was a pirate during the, like, reign of Queen Elizabeth I, who, under her permission, attacked the Spanish vessels, so he wouldn't get in trouble for looting them by the English government. With regular, like, pirates and everything, like, they were operating outside of law, so anyone could capture, say, Blackbeard. It could be the British are after him, the Spanish are after him, the French are after him. Anyone could be after him. But privateers, England would, like, look the other way, or whatever nation would look the other way. They'd be like, yeah, do that and just, like, give us a slice, you know? But they kind of had the protection of a a country behind them. Okay, buccaneers. is another term that got generalized as an overarching term for pirate, but, and I thought this was really interesting, it originally referred to these hunters and meat traders on the islands of Hispaniola and Tortuga. Yes, Tortuga is real, but not in, like, the Pirates of the Caribbean way. It's real in name only. Pretty much. Cool. According to Eric J. Dolan, who wrote the book Black Flags and Blue Waters, which I used in my research, yes, I used an actual book this time, <laughs> I'm so excited for you. But according to him, the word boucan referred to the place where meat was cured, and those who cured the meat were boucaniers. It's French. Mm -hmm. They would sell the meat to passing ships, but when that was no longer fruitful, they began attacking ships. Thus, the anglified word buccaneer became synonymous with pirate. You know what? Adapt. Innovation. So with my vocab lesson out of the way, pirates have been around as long as we've had boats and engaged in trade, if you want a number, since about 1353 BCE. Love BCE? Yeah. Damn. Since we had boats, were you not listening? They might not be the the best boats, but they were boats, Jacqueline. They might be news, but- We have always found a way to steal from people. Seems to be a trend in my in my episodes that I choose timeless professions. We started off with poisoning, and then highwaymen, and now we got pirates. I, I, I've got a little bit of a theme going on. It's fine. Uh, Vikings were also pirates. Oh! Um, 
because they functioned, they did the same stuff. It's just- I'd say they just said the English, you suck. Yeah, and, you know, they were attacking villages and other seafarers and everything. They operationally were pirates. We just don't think of them when we think of, oh. like, when you think of a pirate. When you think of the golden age of piracy. Exactly. So, like, when when you think of a pirate, who or what do you see? It's, like, Blackbeard, Jack Sparrow, Calico Jack. Exactly. And those are all examples, except, I mean, Jack Sparrow, yes, but he's fake. Um, of all of those people that you said, all fall under the golden age of piracy. I mean, Jack Sparrow doesn't exist, but that is exactly when the movies took place. Right, a fictionalized version. A fictionalized version. If we're going to get technical about it, um, Pirates of the Caribbean takes place around 1729, so it's actually well after the proper end of the golden age of piracy, which is around 1650 through 1720, so it was like right at the end. I know too much about Pirates of the Caribbean. I'm so, so, so sorry. Wow, what a <laughs> shock that you know too much about a movie about pirates. So the Golden Age of Piracy is named thusly because of how prolific piracy was at the time. Though it was experienced all over the globe, there was a concentration of it in the Caribbean at this time. It had gotten so bad and so out of hand that many merchant and treasure ships needed to sail with, like, an armed buddy. Like, a, a buddy ship. <laughs> there was a buddy as, system. As an escort in order to dissuade acts of piracy happening to them. Like, literally at this time, there was just... There's too many pirates. We need to go in, go in pairs. Just running rampant. Yeah, it's it's like an epidemic at this point in time from 1650 to 1720. So well, less than 100 years. For it being as big as it is, like culturally, it was a blip. A, an absolute blip in history. But I think also you would have to like attribute that to the grand romanticization of the profession, and maybe not even at the time, but like mm-hmm. in literature, after, very much like the Highwaymen. Very uh, much like the Highwaymen. Ooh, a callback. Um, I just listened to, and that's why we drinks coverage of Billy the Kid. Mm. And I'm like, oh, I like have a better understanding of this because of Cat. But I'm like, yes, the, the it all just turns into legend. It exactly. So like some of the most famous pirates of the time were William Kid, not Billy the Kid. <laughs> They're very different, but. Captain Kidd, Bartholomew Roberts, Calico Jack Rackham, and his lady cohorts Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed. Henry Morgan. Yes, that Henry Morgan of the rum brand. Like, <laughs> Morgan. He didn't make it, but that's who it's representing. <laughs> and of course, Edward Teach Blackbeard himself. So these figures whose names stand the test of time despite nefarious deeds are cornerstones to our understanding and fascination with pirates. I love it. These infamous men and women still occupy our collective thoughts today, thanks to media like Pirates of the Caribbean and Our Flag Means Death. But why? How is it that people who lead their lives as murderers and marauders get to be the sources of such entertainment for us when we ought to forget them entirely? Like in my Highwayman episode, the image of a pirate enraptures us somehow, both in looks and what they represent. It's easy for us to be attracted to the bad boy scoundrel. I must admit to having a poster that had Jack and Will standing next to each other, and I couldn't decide who I loved more. Turns out it was Norrington after all. (laughs) But he still falls under the I can fix him trope. And I love the I can fix him trope. But I do believe Jack Sparrow says in the movies what I think best sums up why we love pirates. And I quote, It's not just a keel and a hull and a deck and sails. That's what a ship needs. But what a ship is, what the Black Pearl really is, is freedom. And that is what I think keeps us coming back. Pirates as a whole and concept represent freedom. Historically, many became pirates, not just to be murderers, but to escape societal pressures of the time, be that financial ruin or even gain. In the case of Steve Bonnet, who was a real pirate and not just from the show, (laughs) was actually a gentleman who, for whatever reason, chose to shuck his wealthy lifestyle for a life on the high seas. Or Anne Bonny, who, in order to escape a marriage she didn't want, disguised herself as a man and joined up with pirate and later lover Calico Jack Rackham. Scholars even think that Anne may have escaped to the sea as a form of gender expression and not just simply taking what she could as a woman during the 18th century. 
There is something almost hopeful about the idea of reforming one's life by running away to the sea. The concept of a pirate contrasts directly with the reality of them, seen as not all of them went to the sea with this idealized, maybe it's an escape. Some of them were just na- nasty, awful murderers. Right, like some of them said, this seems like a good way for me to do all of my favorite things, which is, you know, murder and plunder. And get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> But the idea of them is what makes such good literature and cinema. And just like how we have a true crime podcast now, humans will always keep coming back to stories about villains. Yes. I think pirates, almost like Highwaymen, but to more of the extreme, they almost exist in a vacuum because it's like it all takes place on these high seas, on this boat, on this ship where like, the drama is so well so concentrated high. because it is its own set dressing. Exactly. This is like piggybacking off of my like highwayman. Like this is a, a wine and cheese pairing of these like ideas of these rogues, you know, you know, sort of thing that makes them such a romanticizable fantasy to your dissertation. <laughs> um, but like the reality of them it contradicts it almost entirely. But as we will see in our cases. There's a little room for, for romance, for fantasy. You know, is this like kinky. <laughs> uh, it could be kinkier. <laughs> <laughs> to quote myself. <clears throat> anyway, that's what we're gonna get into today. We're gonna get into some stories of real rogues of the high seas, and we're gonna separate fact from fiction today, as we as we do every time. As is our whole thing. As is our whole shtick. So with that lengthy intro out of the way. (laughs) Let's get into our cases. Okay. All right. Case number one. Case number one is about John Ashby. He was born in Devon, England in 1689 and was the son of a farmer who was not well off. He was the youngest of six children, but his mother died soon after his birth and he became inspired to become a sailor because of tales of the famous pirate Henry Avery. Oh, I actually don't know anything about Henry Avery. But he is real. (laughs) (laughs) You seem very determined to say that. I just... (laughs) No, I'm just saying out of all the, like, golden age pirates, you, I, as a layman, have, Mm -hmm. like, a basic knowledge of. Well, I've never heard this one. Henry Avery or Avery, there's, like, a little contradiction between... The pronunciation. The pronunciation. Some of the spelling is with an A, some of it is with an E. There are, like, things where it's, like, they're two separate people or they're one and the same. It was a little bit, like, just before the Golden Age of Piracy. Oh. Um, he was the precursor. Mm-hmm. Also, Henry Avery, or Avery, also happened to be born in the same hometown as him. So it's like... <gasps> He's a hometown hero hometown indoor monster. Her- hometown, probably not the best thing, but, you know, like, to a kid... You hear the tale of adventure. Well, and it becomes like a, probably a folk hero. A little bit, yeah. Like you would a think. folk character. Yeah, absolutely. Morally um, gray. Morally, morally gray. Moving on. He joined the Royal Navy as a teenager, aiming to make his name honestly at first. Oh, it always starts out with honest intentions. It always starts out with honest intentions. But after seeing the opulence of those who already had money in the Admiralty, Bitterness began to grow against doing things the proper way. The tale is old as time. Tale is old as time. You see what the other half gets for next to nothing. Right, for being born. For being born, and you're still fucking scrubbing the floors. Doesn't make it right. So in 1715, he made his way over to the New World and settled in Long Island, in what would become like New York and New York Colony. Supposedly to seek some relatives, he... More specifically in the Setauket area, he fell in love with Mary Howlett. (gasps) Their romance was a whirlwind. The couple was so well in love and have even spent a scandalous night. (gasps) Alas, they spent a scandalous night together, as as we discussed. But Mary's parents did not approve of the match. Naturally. Naturally. Not wanting their daughter to marry a penniless sailor. So, thinking he must prove himself to Mary's parents, John Ashby set off to make his fortune as quick as possible. You know what is quick but not long-lasting? Grime. Well, actually, he first turned to treasure hunting. Oh! As a pleasant twist. 
I would, I could not have predicted that even if you asked me to. Seems probably fruitless, but not illegal. It's <laughs> like when not, a, it seems fruitless, but not illegal. It's like when a guy <laughs> says, I'm investing in Bitcoin, and you like, no, he doesn't know what he's doing, and you're like, can I tell you it's the wrong thing to do? Not necessarily. Do I think you'll actually ever make any money? No. Well, sure. Think of this as ye old Bitcoin. <laughs> so he sought out the fabled Spanish treasure of Flotus de Indias, whose fleet of ships had sunk off the coast of Florida. <gasps> I think this is the premise for fool's gold. <laughs> okay. Not not him, but like that that sunken treasure. Sunken treasure. Yes, off the coast of Florida. Sunken treasure is a very good. And it's, is it a Spanish fleet? Yeah, it's a Spanish treasure fleet. Yes, no, that absolutely is the concept for fool's gold. Oh, we should watch that. I love it. Okay, is it a rom com? Yeah, Matthew Mahoney. Oh Half the things you recommend are rom coms, and I'm like safe bet. Listen, it could be like it could be like Love Hard. You could actually like it. Let's do that. So yeah, so you're familiar. Yes. These ships were filled to the brim with gold and jewels and other precious goods. It was even said that the smallest fraction of this fortune could make one live like a king for the rest of their days. So it's so tempting. It's so tempting. It is the easiest get-rich-quick scheme ever. Pyramid scheme. Let's go. (laughs) Um, So he joined up with an important aristocrat, Paul Williams, the son of the Attorney General of Rhode Island. Whoa. And he was a rich guy. And Wait, so he went from Long Island to Florida to seek out this treasure? Yeah. He, so he's away from his beloved for a long time. Oh, a very long time. He goes, I gotta go make my fortune. I'll be right back, babe. And right back in sailing terms is could be, could be a few months, could be a year, as long as I get this fortune. So he teams up with Paul Williams, who's a rich guy. So Paul Williams served as the financier of the ex- expedition. Esteemed patron. Is a steam patron Catherine Do you think we'll ever get through one of these episodes without me referencing a thousand things? No. We have to reference everything. I'm about to reference something right now. I went, Paul, like Steed in Our Flag, was having a bit of an 18th century midlife crisis. Those are the best. Right? He left his wife and children in order to seek the thrill of a life of adventure on the sea. This really is the 18th century of buying a convertible. And yeah. golf clubs. Yes. And it, assholes It shops. is, except these guys are like 30. There's well, a life expectancy. You're, you're right, I didn't account You never that. know how long you're going to live. You should have a continuous crisis. You're so right. So, the two set off together in 1716, headed down towards Florida, Paul with the motivation to make himself richer, and Ashby with the goal to become rich enough to be able to marry Mary. Aww. But... Like the idea of going to Salem in October, it would seem that many others also had the same idea to find the lost treasure galleons. And so what seemed like a good and novel idea on paper, in fact, lacked originality, and no one got filthy rich from the endeavor. Oh. My god. (laughs) Had to dig Salem a little bit. Oh. Is that kind of what happened with the gold rush? Yeah. Because, like, everyone said, there's gold in them hills, and then... Like, three people found gold. Which, when you mentioned fool's gold, then, gives me more gold rush vibes than sunken pirate ships vibes. Just by the name. Ah. Uh, no, it's very sunken pirate ship. That's so fun. They're getting divorced. <laughs> oh my god. Sorry. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> anyway, everyone's in Florida. And so, what could be found... Is slim pickings. Slim, slimish. Wait, so is anyone getting anything? Like a coin or two. Oh, but no one's getting, like, the big kahunas. Yeah, because there's so many people, everyone's fighting over everything, so it's like, no one's getting out of here with nearly as much as they they expected. So, Ashby and Williams had to think of a new get-rich-quick scheme. So the pair said, when in Rome... And quickly turn their sails to the trade of piracy. Were they just robbing all the other guys who were pulling little bits of gold up? No. Oh, they went after merchant ships? They, they, they started actually doing the damn thing. Oh, they committed to the bit. Yeah, they committed to the bit. <laughs> it did not originally go so well for them, though. Operating with what amounts to be glorified rowboats and having to stay in the shallows of small islands. 
But their tenacity, their 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 gun and spirit, their stubbornness, caught the attention of the big dogs. Being Benjamin Hornigold is the famed pirate who began the Republic of Pirates on Nassau Island. Oh, he was captain of one of the most heavily armed ships, the Ranger. Who was his second in command? None other than Blackbeard himself. <gasps> His origin story. His origin story. On the ranger. Hornigold saw the potential in Ashby and Williams and took them under his wing on his other ship, the Marianne. Oh. I know, he has multiple ships. Together, Ashby, Hornigold, and Teach became a formidable trio. Um, Paul Williams was there. (laughs) Sorry, Paul. But in the summer of 1716, the crew became irritated. With Hornigold's unwillingness to attack English ships. Oh, so A, you smell mutiny. B, is it because he's not a privateer, is he? So Hornigold was a former privateer turned uh-huh. pirate, but his refusal to attack English ships stems from it being his country of origin. So ever the Patriot, despite no longer being a privateer, like no longer having that sort of like commission and permission to do things, old habits die hard. He still feels, he pours one out for queen whoever's on the throne or king whoever's on the throne. Okay. Okay. Um, The crew voted to depose Hornigold and name Ashby as their new captain. Does depose mean they kill him? No. It means to like replace but does he stay on the ship? No. He's been mutinied. Okay. But he has other ships, so he's fine. Oh, just this ship is yeah, just breaking this, just it's, the, a, it's like a faction in a cult. Yeah, it's like, yeah, no, we, the crew of the Marianne, think that Ashby is the cooler guy. So we're gonna, we're gonna serve him, and you can get the fuck lost, Hornigold. On your many other boats. But, like, you know, this is a, this is a point where it's like, well, you can't really fuck with Ben Hornigold, but... We want you out of here. Pirates were they very said democratic. Respectfully, you, you, like, fuck you know, off. like you, you know, there were cases where the mutiny would be a lot more violent, but this was this was pretty fair. Hornigold went, all right, kings to you. As captain, Ashby captured a few ships and had the makings of his own fleet. You know, they're out here just collecting ships. They're like, they're not sinking them. They're collecting them. They're Pokemoning this. They're really saying this is mine now. This is mine now. One of which was the Sultana, a larger ship than the Marianne. So he gave command of the Marianne to Paul Williams, his buddy. Oh, like yep. when you can his, captain that one, his patron. Yeah, you can captain that one. I'm gonna take the bigger ship, the Sultana, and then we can just attack people together. Over the course of their pretty short excursion as pirates. Uh, the team was incredibly prolific. Like, this was, like, all, like, within, like, a year. And they captured over 50 ships. Now, not every single one of them they kept. So they didn't have, like, a 50-ship fleet. <laughs> but, like, if, like a hermit crab, they, they'd size up if opportunity arose. Oh, my goodness. I know. They really were making a name for themselves. They really were. His fate would change once he came across the where to fork. The what? <laughs> it's a weird ship name. You, dude, if you look up ship names, you have some that are named after animals, and then you have, like, like from Pirates of the Caribbean, you have, like, Endeavor, and, like, Where to For, and it's, like, weird old british names of things, and it's like, why are you fucking naming these ships this? The Where to For was a slave ship, mm-hmm. but she was fast and heavily armed. An ideal ship for a pirate. Mm-hmm. If there was love at first sight, for a ship, this was it. Sorry, Mary, because true love is a ship. <laughs> that makes sense. He wanted this ship more than anything, and he chased the ship for three whole days. Though he was too late to free the souls who had already been sold before he had caught wind of her trail, he thought it would be very just to liberate the ship of all of its spoils that it got from trading in human lives. Gotcha. So he was like, He's like, I'll be a little bit of karma. I may have not have been able to save anyone, but, you know, it's gonna sting. It's gonna sting the guy who owns that ship. That all of the wealth was lost to pirates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, the ship was heavy. Heavy with a fortune of gold, silver, and indigo. 
Oh. Mm-hmm. So, the pirates engaged with the Weretofor and laid siege to her, but the Weretofor quickly surrendered, knowing of Ashby's reputation, mm. which, shockingly, was not that of a ruthless killer. Oh. I had he killed? He had. Okay. But it is here that I would like to note that Ashby was a well-liked captain and operated his ships with fairness, bordering on de- democratic that even stretched to their victims. Often considered the prince of pirates due to the fairness or the Robin Hood of the seas, the latter being a moniker even enjoyed by his crew, which considered themselves his merry men. Whoa! He was somewhat of a dandy, tall, and considered quite handsome. He cared about his appearance, and he liked expensive clothes like velvet coats, and grew his hair, his dark hair, long, and put it, like, tied it up. He did not care for powdered wigs. (laughs) He was tidy and well-mannered, and he was a real gentleman pirate, without being the actual gentleman pirate. Okay. And so that fairness extended not only... To his crew, but to those they engaged with. So, in the case of the Weretofor, Ashby rewarded the captain's lack of resistance, like, putting up that white flag immediately. He just traded the Sultana for the Weretofor. He said, you still have a ship, you just still not have this a ship, one. But you don't have this one, and we're taking all of the gold and loot. We're taking all of everything that she has to offer, but you can have my very empty ship. Yes, like, we won't just throw you in the ocean. The captain agreed to the deal and escaped with his life in a pretty damn good ship. Right, it's not nothing. It's not nothing, but it was not as good as the before. With a fortune fit for now several kings in his possession, Ashby turned his sails toward the American coast to return to his lady love in Long Island. Oh, He was certainly rich enough now to earn her family's favor, but perhaps he shouldn't tell her family how he got the money. I'm like, you should present it as an honorable living to them. I'm a merchant now. Merchant. (laughs) Just a thought, you know? Trade in services. It was the spring of 1717 and they were on their way back up the coast after capturing several more vessels and adding to their wealth. And there was a terrible storm that hit the ship that they could not handle. The ship capsized off the coast of Southampton, Long Island, and the captain must always go down with the ship, right? Yes. Or so we think. Oh. There were two known men to have survived the shipwreck who were promptly tried for piracy and executed. Neither of them were Ashby, though there were many bodies that washed up on the shore. As well, none of them were Ashby. So where did he go? Though he very well could be lost at sea, news of the shipwreck traveled fast throughout the surrounding towns and through the colonies. It was within the first few days that news reached Setauket. Mary Howlett, Ashby's lover from Setauket, had gained the reputation of the Witch of Billingsgate. What? I know. She's a witch. I was worried she was going to be married, but Jesus is No, better. she's a witch. She's a witch. <laughs> In his absence, due to... Falling in love with a pirate and bearing his child. Oh, from she, their one sword night together? From their one sworded night together. <gasps> she'd been ostracized by her town. After the news of the shipwreck, she disappeared. And it is speculated that she and her pirate lover reunited and ran off together without a trace. And albeit without a fortune. Right, because it sunk. Yeah. But it is also just as likely that she may have, like, killed herself after, like, Jesus, where's her kid? But... We're going to go with the happy ending. Wait, but generally, where's... Did she did. She had a kid. Okay, her child was so, with her up until... Yeah. No, she disappeared. But, like, she disappeared. So no one knows, but... Oh. It's like, they ran off together and lived a happy life. She was ostracized and everything anyway, so... She had no reason to stay. She had no reason to stay. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Anyway, that's that's case number one. We don't really know what happened. Okay, so in this book, it's all about, like, factual history about pirates along the Caribbean and, like, American coast and stuff like that. So, this has a picture of Jack Sparrow in it, right? But it's not a picture of Johnny Depp. 
And in the little, like, caption thing, it says, Since obtaining the rights to an actual image of Johnny Depp as Captain Jack Sparrow was too difficult, here is a picture of a man posing as Depp slash Sparrow in Hollywood, California. It's not the real thing, but a very good impersonation. <laughs> and I just like that that is an official book about, like, the history of piracy. I love that they said... We didn't want to pay the money. We didn't want to pay the money, so here is a guy dressed up as him. So we're good. With that little intermission out of the way, that I just... None of you can see the image, but now you all but know. on Instagram. Oh, I can totally throw that on the Instagram. You're so right. Anyway, case two. James McGraw. Mc, Tim McGraw. <laughs> Alright, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. <laughs> I'm so fucking well, useless. his name is James Jacqueline. James. James. Jameson. <laughs> Shut the fuck up because you're gonna fucking laugh after I finish this paragraph. Keep Jameson in your mind, please. So, his exact date of birth is a mystery, as was common. The 1700s of it all. The records. Or the 1600s in this case. But what we do know is that he was born around 1680 and was the son of a carpenter. He was raised by his grandfather, a fisherman in Padstow in, like, Cornwall, England. Okay. And in his teens, he joined the Royal Navy under the command of Captain Hennessy. <laughs> Captain Hennessy. Captain Hennessy. <laughs> Jameson and Hennessy. You make a mean mix drink with that, you'd probably die. Jesus. He was a rising star in the Admiralty and gained rank over the years. By the time he was 20, he had reached the rank of lieutenant. He was well-read and literate, which bolstered his ability to climb in his career. Okay. So he's successful before he turns to piracy. Yeah. Despite his, like, meager upbringing, like, he, like, did the damn thing. Like, he went legit, you know? He wasn't like our guy Ashby, who was like... Yeah, no, fuck this shit. Yeah, he only ever made it in in piracy, really. Everything else was an empty pyramid scheme for Ashby. But for McGraw, everything started to come up roses. In 1705, McGraw was summoned to London, where he was approached by an aristocrat named Thomas Hanson. This aristocrat had a goal of reestablishing British control over the more unruly parts of the Bahamas. Oh! Mm -hmm. Especially focusing on New Providence Island. Thomas Hansen was the son of one of the Lord's Proprietors of Carolina and the Bahamas. A Lord Proprietor is a person who is granted permission from the monarch to establish a government of an English colony in, like, the 1700s. Okay. It's like, you, go make me a colony in the New World. Mm-hmm. And they said, sure. So Thomas Hansen, with the assistance of the Royal Navy, wished to restore commerce to Nassau, which was overrun by Hornigold's Republic of Pirates. Oh! Which I mentioned in the first one yes, as well. Yes, it all ties in. Yes, it all, it all ties in. He wanted to establish a functioning colony on New Providence Island, where Nassau is, and Lieutenant McGraw was to be his right-hand man for this endeavor. Oh. Now, as this partnership began, of course... Rumors also begin to trudge up. So the rumors began to pour in, as they are wont to do amongst the London elite. Oh, the worst. The worst. And the rumor that was circulating was that McGraw was making a cuckold of Hanson, <gasps> carrying on an affair with his wife, Abigail. What? Though it is suspected and suggested contemporarily that it was Thomas Hansen and James McGraw that were themselves engaging in an affair. So McGraw's fucking someone. McGraw's fucking someone. And that someone is most likely married. Yes. There's a, a likely chance that either party he is fucking is married to the other party. A sordid tale. I we love fucking it. love this. Okay, go on. We're a messy bitch. What does McGraw with his, do with his dick next? <laughs> Find out next week <laughs> where his dick goes. <laughs> but regardless of who was doing who, <laughs> the rumors were severe enough that the allegations laid against them ruined the reputations of both the Hansons and McGraw irrevocably. I was like, because at the end of the day, even though if they are on the high seas, this is still English society we're talking about. It does not matter if you're fucking each other. Whoever you're fucking. Outside the marriage bed? You're done. You're done. So the Hansons faded into obscurity to save face, abandoning the goal of recovering the colony of Nassau. Mm -hmm. They just kind of went, 
all right, we need to not be in the public eye, and we're going to go away. <laughs> McGraw, having lost his place in the Navy, sailed to Nassau anyway. Mm. With nothing to lose and only things to gain from becoming a pirate, which he had initially wanted to stamp out. Oh, a he real, changes his course. A real case of if you can't beat them, join, join them. them. So once he reached New Providence, he quickly found himself a ship, the Walrus. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah! <laughs> and established himself a pirate captain. With his former skills as a Navy man, it made taking command easier and sailing even smoother. So, over the course of many years, he gained notoriety and became one of the more successful pirates operating in the Caribbean, using Nassau as a base of operations. These contemporaries included Charles Vane, Benjamin Hortigal, and Calico Jack Rackham and Anne Bonny and Mary Reed. And it's pretty great that he was like, you know, most pirates' lives were very, very short. Living by the sword and sea and against the law didn't breed very fruitful lives. But McGraw was one of the lucky ones. You know, he was able to escape enough and like live long enough, you know, to sort of establish himself a little bit. So I mentioned Nassau in my first case mm -hmm. and... Already much in this one, so let me establish a little bit more about that place. As I said in case one, Nassau is the home to the Republic of Pirates, established by Captain Benjamin Hornigold. Mm. It was a base and stronghold for a loose confederacy run by privateers turned pirates. Oh, okay. So, and it was in Nassau on New Providence Island in the Bahamas, and operated during the golden age of piracy for about 12 years, from 1706 to roughly 1718. So, like, think, like, Tortuga in the film version, <laughs> and Shipwreck Cove a little bit, but a little bit more realistic and not as politically functioning. There was indeed a pirate's code of conduct that the pirates followed, but the Republic of Pirates was certainly not a recognized nation, more so a scourge needing to be wiped out, a la Lord Hansen's goal of rehabilitating the place. Right. So, you know, there was a need to get rid of all of the pirates in this place, but they, it was overrun by pirates. What are you going to do? The other, like, people on the island, they were outnumbered by the sheer amount of pirates that were on here. Right. And it was literally a nest. <laughs> like, all pirates knew each other. So, over the approximate, like, around, like, ten years, he was able to sort of evade capture Utilizing, like, the safety net of, like, Nassau being just overrun by pirates. Right, people probably aren't willing to go into there and try and bring a pirate out in handcuffs. Right. It's not as easy as it would seem. He managed to capture many ships, though the exact number is not known, including oh. the Maria Allen, which he chased for months. 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 Thinking that she contained a huge prize. When it turned out the prize that she carried was pittance compared to what he promised his crew. Oh. Seeds of discord and whispers of mutiny became a little bit more commonplace and stirred around the He's crew. like, I gotta, I gotta do something about this. I gotta do something about this. So, unlike our lead in the other case, McGraw was not as well liked as, as our, our, our prince of pirates. Mm. So, though he had the naval background, which amped up his expertise on paper and made him a good captain, he was notoriously cruel to his crew and ruthless to those he captured. He did not hesitate to kill members of the crew who did not agree with his methods and made examples of them and captured opponents whenever possible. Many of his crew only remained because of how financially lucrative it was working under him in the past. But with the wasted months and the pitiful cries of the Maria Allen, McGraw needed some success or he would find himself mutinied against. I see. There's no like love lost between him and the crew. They're there as a yeah. business transaction. But also there is something to note that a lot of pirate ships were run pretty democratically. So his authoritarian approach is actually very out of place. Right. It's out of the norm. They're like, we don't have to put up with this. Yeah. So, in order to maintain control of his crew, McGraw set his sights on the Spanish treasure galleon, the Orca. I know, another sea animal. Jeez. <laughs> Wait, the, so the walrus is going after the Orca. Yeah. Oh my god. 
but not for long. They needed a better ship than their sloop, the walrus. The sloop is a very small and very fast ship, but is not well-armed enough to take on a galleon. Yes. So, they chased and captured the Andromeda. This is a merchant vessel that was a fair-sized ship and pretty well-armed because it had to go these trips alone because it wasn't like a treasure galleon or anything. It was just a merchant vessel, so it had to have some guns Mm -hmm. to try to defend itself from pirates, but it was easily overtaken by the pirates in their silly little sloop. (sighs) With this ship, they would have a better fighting chance against the treasure galleon, the Orca, which will have been slowed down by the amount of gold and precious cargo that it was carrying. That's the downside. Yeah, because it's carrying all of that, like, gold from the New World back to Spain. So they gotta hit this thing up before it gets back to Spain. Before it leaves the Caribbean. There's there's a time crunch here. After tracking down the treasure galleon, they found her. Oh! I know, they did. They pulled it off. But they also found... You know how I... You know how I said... She had no escort. That, um, like, treasure ships would have escorts. She had a big bad boyfriend, indeed, waiting to back her up. (laughs) There was a man-o'-war frigate that was escorting the orca. I don't 100% know what a frigate is. Frigate's a a big friggin' ship. (laughs) Okay? It's fucking huge. So friggin' huge. It's friggin' huge. (laughs) The Andromeda was dwarfed in comparison. So, outmanned, outgunned, gotta throw some Hamilton in there. The ensuing battle was not in the pirates' favor, and with being in open water and not near any port or shallow zone, damaging any of the ships would be detrimental right, they're going to, the bottom of to the both sea. parties. And uh, you know what? The pirates ultimately lost, being completely outnumbered. And, you know, two ships against one. Yeah, one is low down with treasure, but... Still there. There's a man of war. Like, yeah. a literal warship. Their little galley in the Andromeda. There's a not. frigate. There's a frigate. There's a friggin' frigate, Jacqueline. They're not getting away from this. Yeah, it's not going well. So, the pirates lost. Many perishing at sea during the crossfire, and those who lived were brought to Havana, Cuba, and imprisoned there until subsequent trials and executions. Captain James McGraw was among those captured by the Spanish and executed in January of 1716 in Havana, Cuba. Oh! Like his contemporaries, whose lives often ended at the end of a rope, the legacy he left behind is stronger than his actual actions, and he is a great example of a ruthless cutthroat turned idealized symbol due to the length of time he managed to operate and survive as a pirate. Right, like he was on the run for ten years, right? Yeah, like he managed to do the damn thing, And then you know? he gets cut down trying to take on a frigate. Trying to take on a fucking frigate. A friggin' frigate. Friggin' fuck it. Friggin' fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> so, there ends the tale of Captain James McGraw. That is absolutely outrageous. Alright, so it's Jackie. A lot of coffee liqueur in her. <laughs> who now has to deliberate. Which pirate story is the true crime and which is the tall tale? My initial thought, which is based on nothing, is, um, case number two somewhat reminded me of, um, James Norrington. (laughs) (laughs) Because of Jameson, his Navy background, and the love triangle. But the rest of it does not line up. Who knows, man? Maybe I wrote fan fiction just for you. Or he ends up alone. And hanged. <laughs> and and hanged. Both of them have our classic historical figures featured. So they feel like they're in the same space. So we either have a man who fell from grace because of his dick and became a pirate out of spite. Or we have a man who tried to make a living in order to be worthy of his true love and became a pirate out of desperation. Which do I find least outlandish? Because tale number one reminds me of, what is it, the the Winnipeg or whatever that Cape Cod ship is? That whole, like, they go after the treasure and then they sink off the coast in a hurricane and I think there's a true love involved. 
So I think I'm being tricked. <laughs> I'm going to go with my initial gut and say case number two is our tall tale. And case number one is our true crime. And I'll hand it back to you, Kat. Hey, folks. Before we give our big reveal, pause and go to our Instagram at True Crime or Tall Tale Podcast. Comment on this episode's post and tell us which case you think is the true crime and which one is the tall tale. Then tune back in to see if you were right. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. You were right! Ah! <laughs> case number one was the true crime. And case number two was the tall tale. <gasps> case two is actually the first season of Black Sails. What? <laughs> An incredible show that serves as a prequel to Robert Louis Stevenson's novel, Treasure Island. Oh. Yeah, it's more gritty and realistic and more Game of Thrones-like <laughs> like version. But it includes characters such as Long John Silver, Captain James Flint, or in our case, Captain James McGraw, mm. which canonically is his name before he took up the moniker Flint. <laughs> oh! In the show. So I didn't even, like, change the name. Amazing. Really. And what I love about this series is that it balances taking fictional characters and blending them seamlessly amongst the real history of the Republic of Pirates on Nassau during the Golden Age, with some, you know, more dramatic liberties as a TV show is wont to do. So the ending I left you with, wherein everybody dies, <laughs> yes, is not true <laughs> to of the show. season one of a series. A season one of a show that goes on to have three more seasons after that. Flint was not executed by the Spanish, but if you do want to go and find out more about the story that I told you, and many of the details that I've left out, <laughs> I recommend watching Black Sails so much. It is darker and grittier than Our Flag Means Death. And like I said, a little bit more akin to Game of Thrones. Everyone's vying for power, man. Mm. Oh, but I greatly recommend it. It is one of my favorite shows, despite never finishing it. <laughs> How do you even say despite? That's your whole thing. That is my whole thing. I've watched through season three. I have not watched the last season. Because I refuse to finish anything. Anyway, our true case is the tale of Sam Bellamy, the pirate captain whose ship, the Widda, <laughs> not off, <laughs> sunk not off the shores of Long Island, but off the shores of Cape Cod, my home. You, the only reason I vaguely remember this story is because we went to the pirate museum. I know, and I went. I went. It's gonna be risky. But I'm going to do it anyway. Like, it's not that I was, like, aware <laughs> of it, but I was like, there was a love interest, wasn't there? Oh, I was kind of banking on you having a vague thing, but I also was banking on you a little bit being conflicted because, ooh, there's a love interest thing, and that's what threw How you. cinematic. That, how cinematic, and that was also, like, a wrench in your, like, highwayman thing, so I was trying to, like, pull these tactics again, because mm. I'm a villain. <laughs> but you were right on the money. Your vague memory was correct. <laughs> I love my vague memory. Sam Bellamy was the wealthiest pirate who lived and subsequently died after amassing said fortune. Uh, the shipwreck was discovered in 1984 by maritime archaeologist Barry Clifford and was the first ever authenticated pirate shipwreck with one of the only canonized pirate treasures on board. Wait, so why are all the other ones not canon? Well... I mean, there's never been, like, concrete evidence. Like, everyone oh, always goes, like, oh, we want to we wanna get the treasure that Captain Kidd buried supposedly off. It's all very... Ambiguous. It's all very ambiguous. Meanwhile, the widow sunk with a treasure on her. And with records. It was there because archaeologists found it and found all the gold. So it is the only... As of, as of my knowledge, I think it's still the only, but I think... It might have just been the first. I think there might have been a few others that might have been. It's documented as at least the first canonical pirate treasure. Sure, it's not like buried treasure or anything, but treasure being lost at sea, that's like even better. And it being found? Shut right. up! People on Cape Cod are like still finding coins washing up. I've spent my entire childhood trying to find coins. I was just like, once again, if we step back from like all the folklore and romanticism around pirates, there's actually very little known about their 
treasure. Yeah. Like, it, that is very much, feels like a fictionalization of them. Yeah. Like so, the like, whole, the fact that this yeah. is canon is actually it's quite canon. impressive. And it's not in the way that we sort of, like, fictionalize, like, imagine it, where it's like, oh, a cursed pirate treasure or anything like that. Like, no, it's, like, legit, like, they just had a fucking bunch of gold on their ship. But, like, a lot of pirate treasure was more so, like, indigo and, like, trade goods that they would resell. But it's very interesting that, like, there's actual pirate treasure. And I just really like that. You know? Right, once again, very historically significant. Exactly. Another fun fact about this, uh, JFK was really into the widow. Oh, he summered on Cape, right? He, he was, yeah, I think he's from Barnstable. (laughs) Shows how much I know. (laughs) He's he's a Cape Codder. That yeah, makes Kenny. sense, though. And uh, he actually tried finding it. Like he tried finding the widow. Do you imagine if a to be president found a pirate ship? Honestly, like here's the thing, though. Okay, so like he tried looking for it before it was discovered in the eighties, and obviously before his assassination in the sixties. So mm-hmm. like he wouldn't be there. But he was diving in the area and lost his diving watch. When it was discovered in the 80s, they found JFK's diving watch at the site. He was right on the money, and they have that in the museums. Oh my god. <laughs> like, that is so funny. He, he did. He, he did was close. Yeah, I was like, if his watch is with the stuff, he was in the right spot. He was in the right spot. So, our love interest, her Mary? name was not Mary Howlett. I stole the last name from other Massachusetts name is including my 1700s revolutionary romance novel. Oh, God. Um, but the name was close. It's not Mary Howlett. It is Maria Howlett. Oh! And she was from Cape Cod, though there is no record of her existing or that a romance occurred. Like, it could Do very much she's be... just a part... Yeah, a part of the legend? It very much could just be a part of the legend. Entirely, but like she could be real, she could be fake. There's just no record of she it. She could be real, but, but there's no romance. Like, like it's it's so it's so fascinating. Like I could just do a deep dive, but someone's already beat me to it, so I'm gonna have to get my grubby little hands on this book. So <laughs> she is often um, called the Witch of Wellfleet, and the, oh, right, the witch, yeah, the witch. That like I did not make that up. <laughs> Someone else might have. Um, Wait, sorry, this is so offhand. But there's this, you know the Scooby episode with the glowing um submarine man, yes. the scuba diver? Yes. And it's like, he was Captain Cutler, but his wife, his widow, is a witch. Yes. In that episode. <gasps> I don't know if that's from this, but that would be cool if It'd it was. It'd be cool if it was inspired. Yeah, it would be cool if it was. So there are many stories about her. She is one of the featured ghosts on many a ghost tour on Cape. <gasps> Since there's no solid record of her, much of his much of her story is speculation, but it is altogether fascinating. A book by Kathleen Brunnell, Bellamy's Bride, The Search for Maria Hallett of Cape Cod, attempts to find more concrete evidence of her existence. Some of the speculations around her and her story suggest that she fell pregnant after engaging with Bellamy and gave birth in a barn alone after Bellamy left for the West Indies. Oh. Her child shortly died after being born, and some suggest that she killed the child, which leads to her fabled allegations of being a witch. I'd say that that'll do it. Mm-hmm. She was tried for the murder of her child and forced to leave East Ham, where she then took up in Wellfleet and faded into obscurity. A ghost waiting on the shores for her lost lover. I know all the records around here are very, very loose. But they say she went on trial, but then was forced to leave. So There's was she found li- guilty? Or there did- are literally no records. I have okay. no answer for okay. you. Okay, okay, Well, I in just- my brain, there's two options. Either she was found guilty and her punishment was banishment, which seems strange. Mm-hmm. Or she- they weren't able to convict her, but society ran her out. Do you want to hear about the other speculation? Yeah. Cool, because that one I have written down. <laughs> other tales suggest that when she was found in the barn... With her dead infant in her arms, she was in a catatonic state, and the town punished her by tormenting and imprisoning her until she would be tried, where she would surely be found guilty and to be executed of the crime of murdering her child, right? Every day, her wailing would echo through the town, and when she asked her tormentors to end her suffering, they refused, until one day, her cell was approached by a well-dressed stranger 
who was well-spoken and with a gold-tipped cane. He offered her freedom and a chance for revenge by simply signing a contract. Mary signed her soul to the devil. And then it sounds like the devil. Yep. If it sounds like the devil, it is. It probably is. (laughs) It probably is. So she signed her soul and became the Sea Witch of Billingsgate. I don't know what you mean by Billingsgate because I've never heard of that on Cape Cod. But sure, that's the story. From then on, she supposedly lived inside a whale my worst nightmare, and lured sailors to their deaths. I think this... Is this a beached whale? No. A a whale that would roam around... A live whale? ...with a lantern on its tail to have sailors mistake that it is land. I think this is the the more believable one and not that she just faded into obscurity or got executed or anything. I think she lived inside a whale. That's the- <laughs> My first thought was like was actually really really cool, and that like a whale had washed up, and she like built a weird hut out of its bones, and yeah. really committed to like the sea witch bit, and like it was cool and edgy and dark and not so Pinocchio. Yeah, no, it goes full Pinocchio, man. Like it literally goes from like yeah, she could just be like a lady who faded into obscurity, and society called her a witch because of everything else that happened or she could legit be a sea witch and live in a whale and lure men to death which would you rather do here's the thing though i want her to be a legit sea witch but not live in a whale yeah i mean i agree i don't really like whales we know we know my but mine's not even i don't really like whales i'm just like well then how does is she in charge of the whale yeah. does the whale make decisions i think she and the whale have like a, like there's so like much more is a symbiotic yeah. It, it opens more questions than Yeah, and I'm answers. like, no, I want her to have built a witch hut out of whale bones and sea moss, and she sells potions out of the whale hut. Okay. That's what I want. Okay, Jackie. Well, the 1700s of it all has a really different idea about what <laughs> witches do with their spare time. They and say whale bones. They say she just lives in the whale. And they float around together like roommates. It's like fucking Flapjack. It is like Flapjack. That's what I was thinking. (sighs) Anyway, that's that's more (laughs) on on Maria Hallett, wherein there are just more questions than answers. Yes. But on to something I did exclude from uh, my story proper. So there is a famous quote that is attributed to Bellamy, though there is countering arguments that say that this might have been actually a pirate operating at the same time called Charles Bellamy and not Sam Bellamy. Okay. There's some contrasting tales here, but it's a lengthy quote, but this ties in with um, Bellamy's sort of the Prince of Pirates sort of thing. Um, The Prince of Pirates and the Robin Hood of the Seas, which is Bellamy is Ashby. Yes, Bellamy is Ashby. This ties in with that that nature. So he, on his way back up the coast of the United States, which was not the United States at the time, obviously, the colonies, colonies, he captured a ship. Don't remember the ship's name, but I knew that it was captained by a Captain Beer. Bellamy wanted to take... (laughs) B-E-E-R? B-E-E-R. Sometimes B-E-E-R. I love it either way. Go um, on. Continue. Go on with your bad self. Um, he wanted to take the goods and leave the ship be, but he was outvoted by his crew who voted to burn the ship. That seems drastic. They're pirates, man. <laughs> Bellamy was the most level-headed of them all. I still he, say drastic. He offered the captain a position on his, on his ship and crew, but Beer refused, and so Bellamy supposedly said, I'm sorry that they won't let you have your sloop again. For I scorn to do any one mis- one a mischief when it is not to my advantage. Damn oh. the sloop, we must sink her, and she might be of use to you. Though you are a sneaking puppy, and so are all those who submit to be governed by laws which rich men have made for their own security, for the cowardly whelps have not the courage otherwise to defend what they get by knavery. But damn ye all together... Damn them for a pack of crafty rascals, and you who serve them for a parcel of hen-hearted numbskulls. They vilify us, the scoundrels do, when there is only this difference. 
They rob the poor under the cover of law, forsooth, and we plunder the rich under the protection of our own courage. Had you not better make then one of us than sneak after these villains for employment? Which Beer replies that his conscience would not let him break the, the laws of God and man, and Bellamy continued his tirade, saying, You are a devilish, conscious rascal. I am a free prince, and I have as much authority to make war on the whole world as he who has a hundred sail of ships at sea and an army of a hundred thousand men in the field. And this is my conscience. This my conscience tells me. But there is no arguing with such sniveling puppies who allow superiors to kick them about deck at pleasure. Wow. He popped the fuck off. He said so much. He said. With so much. He said in summary, eat the rich, you cowards. <laughs> he really said bootlickers. <laughs> Fucking bootlickers. Be a free man. Wow. That's what I got to say about that. My next fact is that uh, his buddy Paul was actually named Paul Graves Williams, which was both a good and a lame name. <laughs> you know, Paul Graves. Like, that's badass. But also, you sound like a nerd. <laughs> of the 146 crew members of the Widow, only two survived the shipwreck and were promptly tried as pirates and hanged for their crimes. Of the bodies that washed ashore, none were Bellamy, and a body was, though, discovered in the wreck and was thought to be Bellamy, but through DNA analysis, it was proven to not be him. Though there are more bodies under the archaeologist's care as of right now, Captain Sam Bellamy remains lost to Davy Jones' locker, but the legend that has enraptured Cape Cotters and other pirate enthusiasts survives. That's, that's my story. Go to the pirate museums on Cape and in Salem, guys. I got to touch an actual piece of pirate coin, and I cried. I'm so enthralled by this. Outrageous. Incredible. Thank you so much for this. Our fine folks out there, I hope you have been comfy, cozy, and uncomfortable during these tales we've taken you on. Our wine! Fuck! Fuck! It's too late. It's post-stories. It's a reward for getting through the episode. Thanks for putting up with the wine bit for so long, guys. We like making a thing of it, but we also realize we've got a lot going on. We have a Cabernet Savion... Sa Cabernet Savion? Savion Merlot. <laughs> I saw three words and I was like, I can't put them all together. Cabernet Savion Merlot. I didn't oh know you my. could do that. I did not know you could do that. Oh my goodness. I'm taking the first sip. I like it. <laughs> It tells me it's dry. Yeah, it does. I don't. <laughs> anyway, that's our little treat. Anyway, it's my job to outro us. Thank you so much for listening to True Crime or Tall Tale. We hope you tune in next time. This has been Kat. <laughs> <laughs> and Jack. <laughs> this has been Jack. And Kat. Bye! Bye.